everyone to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. As always, we are going to start with a tweet I saw yesterday that was talking about all the economic conditions that we're seeing right now. That, like, you know, the stock market, these tech stocks are just completely falling off a cliff. Uh, Bitcoin is down. We're seeing you know, economy is shrinking. We saw that in Q1. And so they were listing like all these things that are showing that the economy is retracting. And it was funny because they said housing is a bubble, but they didn't actually have any proof that housing is a, they just said it. Like there's been zero evidence that we're about to see that bubble pop. There's nothing. I mean, maybe a little bit of a slowdown. That's all we've seen. Home prices are still going up. We've seen a little bit of a rise in inventory, maybe a little slowdown with regards to mortgage demand, which we highlight here on the podcast, but there really is no evidence that housing is a bubble other than people just keep saying it and assuming that it is true. And one of the reasons they should stop doing that is because there's no evidence that housing is a bubble and just throw this on the pile of evidence that housing is not in fact, or I should say this. Are there some areas where we could see an overinflated housing market? Probably. But the idea that this is 2008 all over again is just stupid. And people keep acting like it's fact. And here's another example. CoreLogic reported that delinquencies have hit a 23-year low in February. So, of course, that is three months behind. So you could say, okay, well, Tyler, now that number is probably a lot higher. Okay, fine, but 23-year low, three months ago (laughs) is where we were. Home mortgages in some stage of delinquency fell 0.1 percentage points in February 2022 to 3.2%. That was 2.5 percentage points down from where we were in February of 2021. And here's what's interesting is that it was down across the board. Every category, including foreclosures, early stage delinquencies were at 1.3%, mid-stage delinquencies were at one, or excuse me, were at 0.3%, and serious delinquencies were the highest number at 1.6, but down the most, down 2.1 percentage points from a year ago. And as I mentioned, foreclosures were also down to 0.2% which was the first decline that we've seen since June, 2021. So they've been at 0.3% since June of 2021. And they have now finally declined to 0.2%. Now, are we going to see foreclosures rise? Yes, and we already have. We've already seen it, right? 130%, 130% more foreclosures last month than the month prior. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. But of course, that means we went from 500 to 1500. <laughs> I mean, those are actually the numbers. We went from a historic low to still below where we normally are. And the thing is, we probably are going to get back to some normalization and foreclosures because there's always going to be, you know, just like defaults and everything else, bad things that happen in the economy. That's always going to be there. You're never going to get rid of it. So you're always going to have foreclosures. But it's going to be funny when we finally get to like a more normalized rate the press and of course the crash bros who are going to be like yes finally here's the evidence we've been calling for it since 2013 here's the collapse of the housing market they're going to report it and then the press is going to play along because they love doom and gloom 
and they're going to act like this is a sign that the uh, housing market is about to blow up. But I just want to remind you that there's still no evidence that housing is a bubble other than people just think that it is. Well, home prices are really high and they've been rising for a while now. They really should they really should have fallen because we all believe, right, what goes up must come down. That's all there is. There's still no evidence. There's evidence of a slowdown, but there's no evidence that housing is a bubble. And just to add to that, just to add to that, we also got some data from the New York Fed. It was the Q1 quarterly report on household debt and credit. And they obviously we saw an increase in the first quarter. Uh, I think it was one of the only areas where we actually saw a major increase. I think car loans were actually down in Q1. But here is why this is important. This is why I want to bring this up. So once again, looking at 2003 to 2006, what did we see? We saw a lot of loans going to people with credit scores that were sub 620, right? The subprime lending. And a lot of people have pointed out that origination volume is down significantly among refis, down somewhat with regards to purchases. And so, oh no, mortgage companies are going to be freaking out and they're going to start changing their lending standards to get business. Here it comes. 2008 all over again. Well, once again, speculation, no data. Because according to the New York Fed, looking at loan originations in the first quarter of 2022, there have been almost no originations for borrowers with credit scores below 620, a few below 660, and the majority, the overwhelming majority went to borrowers with credit scores over 760. <laughs> it's just it's just no evidence that anything that happened in 2008 is happening again. But yeah, don't let that stop you from making a good argument. Don't let facts get in the way of a good argument. <laughs> it's just delinquencies, 23-year low. Credit score, the, the majority of loans are going to credit scores over 760. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, yeah, but no, no, no. Yeah, 2008, all over again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Just keep going with that narrative. Keep selling those uh, magic beans, trying to get people to buy. And like I said, is there probably going to be a slowdown coming? I mean, sure, we've seen it, right? We saw it. We, were, we talked about on Monday, Altos Research reporting that inventory levels are rising, which is a sign that, hey, people might be thinking, okay, now's the time I'm going to sell my house. But home prices were still going up in that Altos report. We've seen mortgage demand drop. Okay, we talked about that. Rate locks were down. But this is all signs of a slowdown that happens when mortgage rates jump up almost 100% in less than a year. So yeah, okay, fine. Slow down. Not a crash. Not a bubble. <laughs> but yeah, keep making the argument there. Uh, and speaking of making arguments, so one of the big questions that we have going forward is what's going to happen to the work from home revolution? Because a lot of people are going back to work. I work at an office. I go to work every day, but a lot of people still don't. However, that number is shrinking but what impact is that going to have? That's been one of the big questions. The big shakeup that we saw during the pandemic was people moving to destination locations where they can work from anywhere. So they're gonna move where they want to live, not where they have to live for work. But as people go back to work, are we gonna see that slow down? Where well, one place 
They are not seeing a slowdown. And that would be Miami, Florida. And we've talked about some of the crazy markets in Florida, Miami being one of them. Deborah Acosta at the Wall Street Journal writes that Natalie Solar moved to a 49-story luxury tower in Miami's Brickell neighborhood two years ago. She and her roommate paid $3,300 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. She renewed the following year for $3,500. A little increase there. Not, Of course, it's going to be expected. But then when her lease expired earlier this year, the landlord delivered some shocking news. He was doubling the rent to $7,000 a month. And by the way, this is not an anomaly. This is happening all over Miami. Miami area apartment rents have soared 58% over the past two years, according to Realtor.com, compared to the national average that is up 19% during that time. So sure, 19% is a big jump. Anyone that's in the rental market right now knows that. But 58% in two years. Insanity. And why is this happening? As I mentioned, work from home, finance, and technology professionals have been pouring into Miami, drawn by Florida's year-round warm weather, lower taxes, and what newcomers say is a more business-friendly environment, especially compared to California or New York. And these new residents have high-paying jobs, and they are used to significantly higher rents on the West Coast and these Northeast cities making even these big jumps in Miami's rents seem reasonable in comparison. In fact, things are so crazy in Miami's rental markets that bidding wars are becoming a reality. So normally you think bidding wars, you think, you know, buying a house. And so what do you do in order to buy a house in a bidding war to get your bid accepted? You offer more money. You offer over ask. Well, that's what they're doing in these rental markets. People are offering anywhere from $200 to $500 above the monthly asking rent and will agree to pay one month or one year's rent in advance. So they are doing the same things that we are seeing in some of these crazy housing markets. And what's interesting about this is, you know, you're hearing about finance, you're hearing about tech. And so you're thinking, hey, you can work from home, you can work from anywhere. Well, it's not just, not just, I should say, in the United States. This can also apply internationally and could have an impact on our economy and our immigration policies. So Julia Bikoswicz writes at the Wall Street Journal as well, two good articles of the journal. Despite all of these, this big jump in high-tech workers, the industry still needs more people. And if they can't find them in the U.S., they will gladly seek talent elsewhere. Remote jobs in tech have jumped 420%. That's a very fascinating stat. Is Elon Musk behind the statistic between January 2020 and last month? 420%. That according to jobs data reviewed by Tecna. However, thanks to advances in technology, more than 22% of all those jobs are actually remote. And here's the problem. Despite the big jump in tech jobs, we have seen almost no growth. In fact, zero with regards to high-skilled immigration. H-1B visas, to be exact, have not changed in 17 years. The journal reporting that the U.S. allows 65,000 skilled worker visas annually, 
under its H-1B program, plus another 20,000 for people who hold graduate degrees from American universities. Those numbers have not changed since 2005. <laughs> that's just, that's crazy. Has not changed since 2005. And so offshoring, you know, is a big buzzword. I remember in 2012, the election, it was a big buzzword in 2016. It's constantly argued, hey, we shouldn't be shipping these jobs overseas. And a lot of times you're talking about manufacturing jobs, you know, building plants overseas. But what's happening is because we've made it so easy to work from anywhere, that's been great for workers who can now move anywhere, but it also means they can find workers anywhere. And so this disruption is not only impacting cities, you know, people don't have to live in New York anymore if they want to work in finance or don't have to work in Silicon Valley if they want to work in tech. They don't have to live in America anymore. And I'm sure these companies would probably rather hire someone that lives in the country where the company is. If they can't find the workers, they can't find the workers. Now, a lot of people would say, well, well, Tyler, we should do more to train Americans. And I'm all for that. But that's going to take a while. And they need people to work now. (laughs) Well, maybe not right now. I guess I'm sure some of these tech jobs maybe will not be as in demand (laughs) based on what's happening with some of their uh, stock prices. We could see a little pullback there with the jobs that they need done. But we should also look at this and realize that this is going to become a bigger issue as we move forward. Because as it becomes easier to work from anywhere, you'll be able to find workers from anywhere. And so we're already seeing the impact that's happening in the United States. Imagine what that could mean globally. So I thought that was kind of fascinating that, you know, you're seeing the results and Miami's kind of facing uh, the repercussions of this work from anywhere. So what's that going to do 10 years from now where work from home gets even easier? I don't know. Just very fascinating, I thought. Okay, we got big Big report coming out, the CPI Consumer Price Index out at 8.30 this morning. And a lot of people argue the reason President Biden spoke yesterday was because he was worried that that number today was going to be bad. Now, the prediction, economists are saying that number is going to drop. Inflation has peaked. It was 8.5 last month. It's now going to be 8%. Core inflation will fall to about 6%. But I don't know, why Why did President Biden speak? <laughs> he may know something that economists do not. I, that, I would be suspect if that were true, but we will see. We'll talk about it on tomorrow's pod, as well as mortgage demand. That is out at 7 a.m. this morning. But you guys, enjoy your Wednesday. We'll talk to you again Thursday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.